Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. From Cavalry Audio the studio that brought you The Devil Within and The Shadow Girls, comes a new true crime podcast, The Pink Moon Murders. The local sheriff believes there may be more than one killer. They were afraid, especially out in that area. A family was targeted, most of them targeted while they were sleeping. The Pink Moon Murders is available on February 22nd, and you can follow The Pink Moon Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm David Rogers. I was an editor, director, and producer on The Office. Well, hello there, one and all, all of you. I'm talking to you. 
there. Welcome to this week's episode of The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, I am thrilled. I'm I'm pleased as punch, as they say, to bring on the man who worked, well, he worked tirelessly on The Office. I don't think he slept at home for 10 years. <laughs> no, he worked uh, to keep the show as fresh, authentic, and, well, hilarious as possible. And listen, his decisions, they actually changed the way that um, one viewed the show because he was the person who would decide what would stay and what would go and, and how we would see and experience it all. He was our ridiculously talented editor and later our ridiculously talented producer and director, David Rogers, or as I and everyone I know calls him Dave. Now, Dave was actually the very first editor brought on to the office team. And listen, he was more than just a colleague, a coworker. He was actually a true fan of the show from day one. He had has and had an encyclopedic knowledge of the show. He remembered every moment from every episode. I feel like he was the reason Dwight loved Battlestar Galactica. He helped Meredith get hit by a car. And he even had his own nicknames for the cast. Like, just guess who was called Toblerone. No, it wasn't me. Uh, Dave also... He's a force in the world of TV. The Office won five Emmys total. Two of those went to Dave. He's become a trusted collaborator for so many who worked on the show. He went on to work with Mindy Kaling on The Mindy Project and Greg Daniels and Steve Carell on Space Force, among many others. You may also recognize him for his, well, distinctive voice. He was the voice behind Dunder Mifflin's very own documentarian. But before we get into the meat of this interview, and before I let you relive the show through his words, I wanted to let you know that you can also relive the show through our, yes, our brand new book, Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, The Ultimate Oral History of the Office, which you can pre-order on Amazon right now. So go ahead, do that. Trust me, you're going to love it. Then come back here because the time has come. For you to be carried away by the incredible wealth of knowledge that is Dave Rogers. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. Do you want to know why? No, you don't say that. Everyone keeps saying that I look exactly you the do. same. You, you don't? I mean, well, I wanted to say it to you first. Oh. So, yeah, no, but you, so you wouldn't say it to me. Oh, is that why? <laughs> I don't know. That's Good funny. to see you. Good to see you too. It's wow. been like way too long. I know. Here, you have to sit over there. Okay. Good. I mean, that's the rules. Yeah. I saw um, Mr. Carell yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. 
He seemed good. Yeah. He's been in. He's been in editing a lot. So I'm, he uh, has? Yeah. Well, I don't think I realized that he and Greg wrote the pilot, yeah. created it together. Had, I think Steve had the idea, and then they kind of hammered out, like, kind of a loose thing, and then Greg wrote it, and then Steve would give notes and stuff, you know, and then... I think that was the process, but I think I think Steve had the idea and then okay. came to Greg, and was like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And Greg said, "Yeah, let's let's do it." And then they, that was it. They pitched, and you know, how's Malkovich? He's good. He's good. It's uh, you know, one of the things that we're striving to do is have this kind of duel. You know, they they duel a bit. They joust like they're friendly, and they, but there's some jousting and things like that. We're struggling to, to create new relationships that are different from Michael Scott. Right. Because right, he has right, like right. one assistant and it's like, or like his secretary. And he was saying, he's, you know, they, he has a line where the guy goes, I really like this. He goes, shut up, Brad. And it's like, we even changed it to like, thank you, Brad, because it was too much like, shut up, Dwight, you know? So Interesting. we're, we're, uh, we're trying You're cognizant to, you know, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The context or the character might be different. But how it's going to be perceived in some small level yeah. is going to be your sort of built-in expectation. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, okay, rewinding back, two thousand four-ish. What are you doing prior to working on the show? So I was working on the Seinfeld DVDs. Right. You know, I came up. Uh, I was an assistant editor on Seinfeld. I started uh, cutting. I cut the clip show for uh, that aired right before the the series finale. And uh, I would always kind of come back and do some Seinfeld things whenever uh, things would pop up. So we were working on the DVDs. We were going through pulling, you know, the bloopers, uh, behind the scenes, and interviewing a bunch of, you know, everybody from cast to crew and making these mini documentaries, inside looks of all the episodes and just being really meticulous with things. So I was working on that. We were, we were getting the first three seasons out and... Uh, the line producer from News Radio, which was another show I had worked on, Kent Sbornak, said, "Hey, I have a pilot. I think uh, you know you'd be good for." Uh, and I said, "Okay." And then uh, I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to. Let's talk." And then I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> and uh, you know, I understood. I always wanted it, it just him to say, "Hey, the director is is going with uh, his editor." You know, right. and be like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." Right. But you anyway, just never heard back. I just I didn't hear back, and then uh, I was like, "All right." And then I get an email from him, like, "I know, I know, I owe you a phone call. We got picked up for five episodes. I think you'd be great for the series. Uh, you know, would you like to come in and meet uh, Greg Daniels? I'll send you the 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 pilot." I was like, "Yeah." So I watched the pilot, and I loved it. And it was so I was like, "Oh God, he's so it's dark, like yes. you know," and. I love that. Uh, I mean, for me, it w it's the moment. I'm a huge Six Million Dollar Man fan. So him doing an impression of the Six Million Dollar Man, like referencing it and doing it. That just went on and on. And I was like, I looked at the screen. I go, I'm doing this show. And I came and I met with Greg and we just hit it off right away. And we were talking about things. And it's funny. I, I was talking about all the characters and I said, I feel like Dwight would like Battlestar Galactica. And this was before the new Battlestar Galactica. Okay. But I thought like Star Trek was too mainstream and cool for him, <laughs> that he would like this kind of smaller, more cultish old show. And and uh, I said, I could just I could just see him having like a Viper on his desk, you know, like an old model of a, of a Viper. And so it was funny that when the new show 
came up and that we they did work that in yeah <laughs> that he became a, a Battlestar Galactica fan but uh, I remember one of my birthdays just as a side note like Greg bought me a huge model of a, a Cylon base ship like from the original series and <laughs> and in the penultimate episode I got to direct Dwight hangs a Galactica in his office right and they were like do you want the new one or the old one I'm like oh I want the original series one right. you know totally and I have that I have the model and Rain signed it for me oh that's so, awesome you know but I love he's got he's got a line with his you know his son who he's he goes he looks at the Galactica the same way I look at the Galactica <laughs> so it was just kind of it was just kind of funny how that all all came together but uh yeah I just met with Greg we just hit it off and and that was it and then I was like okay I'm hired and I'm starting on uh, diversity day was the the first episode and so you were the only editor hired at that point I was the only editor hired and I'll say this the D- the Seinfeld DVDs Jerry and Larry came in to watch uh, one of the documentaries the like how the show began and Jerry saw it and was like well this needs to be on TV and so then I'm working. Then we're making the Seinfeld story. So now I'm 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 editing <laughs> to get this thing on TV. Oh and we're starting on the office. And I said, Greg, I said, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. There are days where I'll be editing with Jerry Seinfeld, so I'll have to go there and <laughs> and do that. I said I'm finishing up, but there's going to be some. So there were a couple of days where he's like, "When are you completely done?" And I'm like, "I'm almost done. I'm almost done." But I was there was a little overlap uh, with, with that. But um, yeah, so I, I, sorry, go ahead. I started on a diversity day. Yeah, but that first season then, you're working on, you're finishing up the Seinfeld project and you're the only editor on the show. I was the only editor at first. And then we weren't sure when we were going to air. Originally it was going to be March. And then they said, there's a chance it might be, you know, earlier. And Greg said, I'm not going on the air in February. I don't want to be up against everybody's huge stunt episodes so that meant we would be on the air in january and because of that then there was pressure to get the episodes done so Stu bass uh who's a veteran editor he came in and so we were we were tag team on a few episodes so like i think there were some where i cut there was a couple where he cut there were some where he finished you know he like i would do the assembly and he would work with the director and, and vice versa right do you feel like you got the aesthetic of the show right away? How much was Greg directing you in terms of how he wanted the show to look or feel? Um, I think I got it right away. I mean, I just was like, oh, this is funny. And I mean, there's definitely a little difference with finding the just the style of the mockumentary and having these kind of cameras moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we played around a lot. Definitely that first season, we spent a lot of time uh, you know, one of the things that was cool is that they shot you guys, I think, in two different outfits. Like we could take general views of you of just like y- you guys sitting in the office. And even if we shot it for episode one, it also worked for episode three and episode five. Got and then it. two and four, you might have had similar clothes or something like that. You know, there was something where we had general views that we could kind of steal from one episode and, and put into another. Um the one thing that was new about this kind of show than anything I had done before was usually, you know, when you're editing comedy, it's like fast, 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 and you're pacing it up. And here it was like, no, we need these moments of of breath, and it's holding on reactions, and, you know, it's a little different than anything I had done before. But once you get into it, and you're like, okay, now I know what's what we're looking for. Well, we just explored things and and tried and, you know, especially even with the theme song and the main title. Oh, tried different things? Oh, my God. We had, he sent out like 
to the cast. He may have even sent to you like, hey, give me five songs that you guys like. Right. So I was building different main titles. You know, twenty. we did like 25 different songs. Here was a song here. There was a song here. John Krasinski had a song from Sloan that I was like, this is great. Um, and uh, and I'd have to have cut the picture though too. But it wasn't just like, all right, I'll just lay the song in. So I was like cutting multiple oh, versions right. of, of picture. But ultimately we went with, you know, I think Jay Ferguson was the composer and we just... His version, that was the one we used. From the beginning, were you planning on using the footage that John Krasinski shot? I There was no plan. Like, stuff came in, and it was like, oh, okay, I'll use this and use that. You know, right. I mean, we just, there were all kinds of things. So it was like circling stuff, the water cooler. You know, we were just just trying things, like to make a, a main title and things that would hit, you know. So right. it was. Hit with the music. Yeah. So when the song. When the rhythm of the song was different, it had to be totally recut. When we had different songs in, and and you know there were different versions of the main title. There's a longer version, I think, for the Super Bowl episode. We right. did a longer version of the song. We did shorter versions. You know, towards the end, we would get you know do really short versions because we needed more time for show. <laughs> right. There's also a version, and maybe it was the Super Bowl where there was just more of the cast. And then towards the after Steve left, also it was we'd have okay here's a shot of Phyllis and Stanley here's a shot of Kevin and Angela and Oscar you know so we would we would get more more people in to the main title right Randall talked about there were rules that they had was sort of dictated you know by Ken's original vision and by Greg that they would not shoot a sh- shot that was impossible to get as a documentary yeah right like if we came up to a house and they knock on the door there would not be a camera inside the house shooting out because the crew wouldn't have, if we've just arrived there, there would be no camera from inside. Right. But more than that, Mm -hmm. if Michael is standing at his office door Mm -hmm. and we're shooting Michael, we can't play a camera directly behind Michael because we would then shoot that cameraman in reality. Right. So we were bound by the traditional rules of documentary that everything was happening in the exact moment. And I remember Randall and Matt fighting directors who were wanting the cameras to be placed, you know, on a second pass or whatever, and them saying, no, we can't be there because we would have just filmed ourselves. Yeah, right. And that's and that's the thing. And it's like, you have to give time, at least, even in editing, you have to give time to be like, well, this camera could have moved now and then been, you know, I remember I, we're arguing with Claire uh, Scanlon, who was another editor once, because she was doing something. She's like, da, da, da. And, and Greg's like, no, you can't. It, it, there are not seven cameras in the room. So you have to choose your angles and limp. You know, there were just, uh, I can't even remember what, what the exact situation was. But right. we were like, yeah, no. And she was like, Dave, do you do this? I said, yeah. Yeah, this is what I follow. We, you know, you have to kind of do this thing. But we, yeah, I mean, when you watch the cameras and you watch the editing, you'll see for the most part, we do follow these these rules. And there aren't, you know, these shots in typical coverage that you would see on another show. Right. Do, do you, did you work with the DP or camera guys at all about this? Or was this just sort of like a understood, like everything just kind of worked because you both got it? Yeah, we got it. I mean, we would see what they would do. And be like, okay, this is, you know, and there would be some communication. Like they would ask, hey, how's this working or how's this? And, I, you know, the the push-in when we would, you know, someone would say something and, and you know, we started doing like these slight push-ins and it got fun. But sometimes I, I felt like the show, 
it would go a little too much like this. And I said, oh, we're, we're pushing in. We're missing. I think there was something once with you where you were saying something and Angela was next to you. And Angela had a this sour look. The camera pushed in so much on you in, in a few of the takes, you couldn't see her. Like she got framed out. And it was like, you have to kind of, you know, I said, let's let's be aware and, and and go easy on that. But for the most part, no, I mean, the camera, the DP and the, the camera work, Matt, Randall, Sarah, I mean, they were amazing what they would get and the footage that we we would get in there. And, you know, sometimes it was just a lot of footage and it was like, all right, how do we, you know, mine through this and putting the puzzle together? How do we get from this coverage to this coverage and and back? And, you know, when you are shooting multiple takes, obviously, you know, having characters match and what they're doing. And so it was always fun, but sometimes it was hard. It's interesting. So Claire came from reality. Claire came from uh, reality and documentaries. Documentaries, and yeah. I think she may have done. I mean, I don't. I think she'd done some scripted. I'm not sure how much comedy. And she came in. Actually, it was like season. It was the end of season four. She came in. Uh, Dean Holland was uh, leaving. So I, I. So after after season one, we got picked up for uh, six episodes of season two. So it was just me doing that. And I said, if we get picked up for more, we need to get a second editor. And so we brought in Dean Holland, who was someone who I had worked with before so it was me and him doing the episodes after that and then he was leaving with mike Schur to go do parks and rec at which point i said okay we need to, to bring in some editors and so we brought in Stu bass again and yep. uh, claire scanlon and claire just i mean she hit it out of the park right away i mean she just got it she's great great sensibility and then season the next season it was just me and claire like we were right we were editing together and alternating and stuff and uh yeah she was great she just got it team player too i'd help her out with stuff she'd help me out i mean just yeah just yeah just great were there things that you felt like either with you or dean or you and claire you can decide or maybe it was the same or different were there specific strengths that you had that you felt like maybe you would take over this moment of an episode even if it was hers or vice versa do you remember anything like that no i mean i, I will tell you something funny about the finale but no, there was never anything like that. I mean, we would just look at each other's stuff. Like she would show me hers and right. I'd give her some feedback or notes. I'd be like, try this. And she would look at mine and say, hey, maybe if you do this, like it was pretty open. Right. It was great having Claire. She did bring like a sensibility and, and he, I think just being a female, like there were things that just as a male, like, oh, I'm I'm missing, you know, this kind of component, especially with the some of the relationship stuff that she had, I think, a more uh, sensitive uh, a sense about. But I, I'll say with uh, the finale was interesting because I think I edited or, or maybe Claire edited the first half of the show and I edited the second half. And the first half was like more, I think, more comedy stuff. And the second half was like more poignant stuff. I'm trying to remember how we did. And, and at some point, Greg watched the cut and we thought it was great. It was long and it was great. And then he's like, all right, I want you guys to switch. And now I want Claire to do this half and you do this. Half. And we were like, that's insane. That's he was brilliant. I mean, it made sense. Like suddenly now I was reworking some of her scenes. She was reworking some of mine. If you remember at the end, we had this whole thing with the plant, with Planty. Yes. And that, you know. Yes, Claire brought up Planty. Yeah. And it was a whole thing with Planty. You know, she had cut it out. And Greg's like, no, no, you can't, you can't lose Planty. We lost Planty. I mean, ultimately Greg was like, yeah, like it's gotta go. And that's, you know, and Greg, in, in, I mean, what a brilliant script though. The yeah. finale was so great. so satisfying, I think, as a series ender. 
you know, yeah. just just everything, all the things that were were hit in there. You know, everybody had their their moments. It was definitely one of those things where uh, where he had a switch. I'd have to. I'm trying to remember who did who did what, but I remember like at the end, I was instrumental with the end to some degree. I ended up shooting the building. The last shot you see of the Dunder Mifflin building. Yeah, I went out with my little cannon point and shoot. And I shot the building, and because then we said, "Oh, we'll do this with Pam." She takes the painting away, but at the end, we go into the painting because we needed like this just nice poignant ending. I go, "I got it, I got it," and we go into the painting, and it dissolves into the building, and right. that's the last shot you see. And so I shot this building, and then even Matt Sohn, the RDP, said, "Oh, I'll shoot it also with our cameras. We'll see, you know." And he shot it, and it looked nice too. But for some reason, like I got this lighting. And or Greg just he gets used to what he sees and he's like, no, I like this one. And that was it. That was the last shot. It dissolves from the painting into this into the building. I never knew. So how much after we shot the finale did you do that? It was probably a month and a half. Listen, we didn't finish the show till uh, the morning of. I mean, we were at the mix till one in the morning. And at midnight, I go, hey, Greg. I just realized the end titles are going to run over the most poignant moments of the show. And he goes, fuck. Howard had to call NBC. It was midnight. And we had to figure, and, you know, ultimately, like, they ran a promo or something, you know. Because the the week before, I directed the one the week before, the uh, arm, the penultimate one. The titles ran underneath. uh, We had a promo for the finale. I think that came after Arm, and so the credits just ran underneath that promo. Yeah. But here we are. It was like, what do we, you know, what do we do? Because Greg is like, we can't make it. You know, there's no tag for the first run, and we didn't think about like we just. It's just not something that would come up in your head because normally we would run it under you know the, a tag or something. Right. But in this, the end of the sh- it just ends, and so we got clearance to get a promo or something. 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seconds and ran the credits under that. And then in the re-airs, we pulled out Michael and Dwight dancing to Rosalita at the wedding, and that became the tag. Oh, got it. So it runs under that. When you see it in syndication, that's where the the end credits now run. That moved to the end. Interesting. There's so many questions. And I was the last guy there. So I have video footage of it's sad when they were tearing down the sets. Like, I was the only one there editing. Like, everybody else was gone. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Greg wasn't even there. Like, I'm editing. I was doing whatever, like, the syndication cuts or, you know, for season nine and the DVD stuff for that. And and I I went through. I I filmed. I did a walkthrough of the sets. It's kind of sad. But I have this footage. No one's seen it. At some point, if we do another collective, uh, you know. DVD or retrospective or something. I have this footage to offer. Wow. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. 
Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment. From DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Conquer your New Year's resolution to be more productive with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, time management and productivity expert Laura Vanderkam teaches you how to make the most of your time, both at work and at home. These are the practical suggestions you need to get more done with your day. Just as lifting weights keeps our bodies strong as we age, learning new skills is the mental equivalent of pumping iron. Listen to Before Breakfast wherever you get your podcasts. So, well, you'd worked in multicam shows and, you know, the office not having any sort of laugh track or music underneath underscoring stuff. Did that make your job harder? I had done single camera also. Okay. Uh, I did. I, I cut a show called Andy Richter Controls the Universe. Was I, there music under that? There was. Yeah. And I did another show called The O'Keefe's. Yeah. I mean, everything had, yeah. had music. Um, but it made it easier not to have to score things to not have to oh, right. you know because especially i've worked on shows since like the mindy project and uh even now on on a, a space force you know where like we have to you spend a lot of time hunting for like temp cues and things like that before mm. the composer comes in and does their thing but uh yeah i mean the office just never needed it like we didn't you know and there were a couple times where we slipped things in because they it felt like okay the documentarian like at the end of uh dinner party we play hunter's song and uh it's because the doc you you can logically say the documentarian would have taken it and played it like it's their choice right dinner party is one that i wanted to talk to you about you cut that yeah 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 and that was certainly one of probably the top two uh episodes that utilize the cringe comedy (laughs) factor uh more than anything else did you respond to that kind of episode? I, yeah, you know, it was a different episode and just that they're at this house and you're seeing Michael acting, you know, in a different way than he acts so much, you know, more like just an elevated way of him acting than at work. He's so happy to have everybody there, right. but it's also so uncomfortable, you know, um, and I love the way he like, tr- doesn't he like trick Jim and Pam to yes, come in? <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh. Yeah, I love the comedy. I had one 
I pitched one joke that made it in where uh, Michael goes and looks at his TV and it's, you know, it's really small and it's hanging on the wall. And uh, we were sitting, I was sitting in Video Village with uh, Gene and Lee, the writers. And I go, he, he should say, uh, man, I, I love this TV. I could just stand here and watch TV all day. <laughs> and Gene like, yes. And he ran out and he told Paul. That's to some people's favorite yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, and I, I think it made it in like, a, I was so happy it made it like in one of those like gifs or something or, or one of those quotes. But that was my my quote. Because it was like, I, I he just stood there and I was like, that's what's funny. He's like, that, not that he would be sitting down relaxing, that he could be, I could just stand here. <laughs> it's funny because Krasinski brought up that moment as one of the times he could not laugh and specifically Steve saying something uh, like, oh, and it can tilt and it moves just <laughs> and just kind of bangs the wall just the slightest amount. It's so funny. There were wires hanging down. I mean, that scene, we have tons of bloopers. Like they could not keep it together. That episode, they could not keep it together. But that that scene with the TV and you could just see the wires and John be like, oh, I see the, you know. And you're going to get the wires. So he's like, no, you know, like whatever. He was just talking because it was like, it just looks so unprofessionally set up. Right. You know? Right. Oh, my God. <sighs> and I think we were on strike. The writers were on strike when that episode started. Yeah. The timeline to refresh your memory is Dinner Party was the episode that was completed before the strike. Oh, it was completed we, before the strike? No, that, that was written. Oh, And was written, we yeah. could have shot it. Right. And we showed up for work on that first day of shooting. And I believe they got a couple of talking heads in. And Steve said, I'm not coming in. Mm -hmm. and, and that was it. And that yeah. was it. Yeah. What do you remember about that time? I just was like, okay, well, this is that's what we do. Listen, I'm a union guy. I'm in uh, the Motion Picture Editors Guild in the DGA. So I, if the writers, you know, if there's a strike, you know, I support my my brothers and sisters in the other unions. I think I marched a couple days mm -hmm. more, more just to see people, right. you know, cause it was like hanging three or four months. People. I was like, yeah, I was hanging out with Mindy and, uh, you know, Brent and Paul and, you know, just, just marching. What was funny too, was like, I was going to direct that season. This was season, uh, four. So I was going to direct that season. And I remember when we came back, uh, Kent said, I don't know, you know, what promises were made. And I said, it, it's okay. Let's just, because they didn't know how many episodes would be left. And, right. you know, and I was like, it's okay. We just want to get back to work. I'll direct. I'll get my first one at some point. I'm not worried. Right. And and I got mine, you know, I, season five, early on in season five was when I got my my first episode to direct. And was that your first directing? That was my first directing. Was an employee transfer. Of any television. Of any television. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had a huge... Halloween, you know, we had the Halloween opening. <laughs> yes. You were Batman. Yes. You were the Joker. The Joker. Yeah, there were three Jokers. So I had this nice, you know, this great fun thing with the costumes. And then uh, and then I had three stories. I had Jim and Pam, Pam meeting Jim's brothers for the first time. Yeah. I had uh, Dwight coming in wearing Cornell paraphernalia yes. and pissing off Andy. Yes. And then I had Michael, Holly, and Daryl driving and, and, you know, breaking up. So great episode. You know, and it was funny. I showed up. It was my first day of, of filming, I think, was that. And I was so, I mean, I had so much anxiety that night before. And I show up and I, I go to crew parking and I'm on the bus with the extras. You know, <laughs> we're sitting, everyone's talking, they're excited, and they're like, oh, da, 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 da. And then, like, and they're like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm the director. And then, like, the extras are like, 
you know, their faces just kind of drop. But I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm because I'm a regular guy. I just, I don't know. They tell right. me. To, and then I get there and they're like, oh, no, you can park here. You don't have to be at base camp. You could be here. At the, <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I get the call sheet. It, this was it. No one specifically told me where to park. And But it was so great. I mean, everybody was so supportive. The cast, the crew. I have, you know, I have a script. Kim Ferry from Hair, I think, got everybody to sign a script for me. So it's got cast and crew and it, it really means a lot. Yeah. So, well, yeah. what did that mean for you to be given that opportunity by Greg? Oh, it, I mean, it meant the world to be trusted. Uh, listen, in season one, I had started kind of helping out. In season one, he did the basketball episode was the first thing he had directed. And he's like, I want you on set with me. So I would be there. And sometimes he'd be back with Video Village. And I, he's like, you yell cut when we got it. And, you know, I'm nervous, but I would yell cut sometimes. And I designed a couple of the shots just to discussing stuff with him. I was like, hey, I think if we do that, you know, we needed like just more comedy bits, single things to cut to and then cut more back to the story. And 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 I remember the, the one bit that I did was uh, where uh, Michael's like, Jim, 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 give me the ball, give me the ball. And he looks away and Jim throws it and it like, you know, rockets past him. And, oh, Jim's like, my bad, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of a thing. Um, and I had also, uh, one of the things I had done was uh, – Sometimes, you know, if we were missing a shot or something, I might say, oh, we can just do, you know, in editing, we, we would, and that's a different thing is like rewriting and saying, hey, if we just get a talking head here, we can cut all of this out time-wise and just come in here. Yeah, Claire talked about yeah. that. Yeah. One of the things I did was uh, the episode Fun Run, where um, Michael drives in and he hits uh, Meredith. Meredith, yeah. So the first time, you know, when we got the footage originally, he came in and he stopped short and we panned to the right, you know, off him like a quick whip pan and you would just see Meredith laying there in the street and it would whip back. And I said, Greg, you have to come see this. Like I said, it doesn't look like he hit her. It looks like he stopped short and found her just lying like as if she's passed out. And so we were talking about reshoots and stuff. And I said, I think I, I think we could do something where we wouldn't even need Steve. Like I can use his footage. And so I have a version with our line producer, Ken Subornak, where I said, we do this. And Dan Beals, who was a PA, he was, I, he sat there on the steering wheel. He had his sleeve. We did a whip. I had Kent. I, we kind of threw him against the windshield and then he would, he bounced off and rolled off. And then we whipped back and uh, I edited this. So I had a version with with Michael driving, whipped off. You saw Kent hit the windshield. He came off, whipped back to Michael, and Michael, like, looking, you know, shocked. And uh, they're like, all right, let's do it. So then I was there, you know, with, uh, I guess, second unit with, uh, with Kate Flannery. And I would kind of slam her, you know, slam her onto the windshield. So she would kind of fall, hit the windshield, and, and she would fall off and land on pads. And uh, she says, she goes, I got on The Tonight Show or one of these talk shows because of that. She got more popular because she got hit by Michael's car. <laughs> you know, it was one of, one of those things. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So, so, you know, it was great to finally be given the opportunity to say, hey, I really want to direct. Give me a shot. And I was happy, like everybody, the response to employee transfer was was really positive. So that was really rewarding, too. Yeah. Um. What do you think it is about you and Greg's relationship that makes it work so well and that you've continued to work on other things with him after? I think, I mean, there's definitely a trust. Like he, I think he, you know, A, he likes what I do. He likes the speed that I'm able to do it. He knows, I was talking to Mindy. I got dinner, Mindy and my girlfriend and I had dinner recently 
And uh, Mindy said something. She goes, Greg said this about Dave. She goes, Dave's never political when it comes to editing and, and making a show. Like, I'm not sitting there. It never even occurred to me to be like, oh, well, this writer wrote this joke. I'm going to put this in or this one did this. I mean, to me, I just was doing what I thought, hey, this is what I think is funnier. This is what I think is, yes. is the best. So I think Greg appreciates that, that I'm just like, Dave is just going to do what's funniest. If it's an actor ad lib that's funnier than the scripted line, that's what's going to Dave's going to put in. And in Greg's, in fairness to Greg, Greg will go with that as well. Listen, I've unlocked shows. We had a show, Lice. Claire finished it with Greg, and they cut out the last scene. Like, they ended it with Meredith saying, hey, let's go get a drink. And I said, you cut out the scene of them in the bar? And the, and Greg's like, yeah. He goes, did you miss it? I go, yeah. And this is like mixed. It's ready to be delivered, you know? And uh, Greg goes, all right, we'll do a version of what you want. Let me look at it, you know? But try not, don't have don't have this stuff. He goes, I didn't like this in that conversation at the end. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'll take out that stuff, and I'll find some trims that's not too disruptive in the rest of the show. It's like, okay. And that was it. And I re... I, so I changed the episode... We remixed. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, we just had to do a fix. We had a picture fix in this. And I remember uh, Kate came up, was really happy. She came to the edit, but she's like, oh my God. Like, and I was like, yeah, I missed that scene. I didn't think, I think we need that scene. It's really nice. And the writer, <laughs> the writer was homesick and she gets a DVD delivered and she's like, what's this? The show already locked. Like, what is it? Like, she didn't know that I had unlocked and relocked it. <laughs> so she was so excited because this was a scene that she wanted also. Oh, okay. You know, it was a staff writer and she was like, oh my God. But I think that all goes to, you know, with Greg knows, like, I will always fight for what's best. I will work crazy hours and, you know, he will always get my honest and best opinion. I'm never at a point where I'm like, I don't care. Like that never, ha right. I may once in a while say that, <laughs> uh, but uh, the truth is it's not, it's not true. And I'll think about it and I'll think about edits and I will, you know, get up early in the morning to, oh, I want to tweak this and fix this. And how can I make this better? And, you know, there are times where I've argued with him on stuff. I go, we can, why would we do this? Da, 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 da. And he'll make a point. I'll be like, okay, I, I that makes sense. Like yeah. sometimes I just need that or I need to know why. And there are other moments where. We had some long stuff. I remember being with Jen Salata, and there was a scene where Roy is being nice to Pam, and uh, he gets her out of a meeting, and he helps her with her car or something, and they're walking in the parking lot. And it's like, okay, we get it. And Jen wanted longer and longer and longer. And I remember being in the edit bag like a little shit up there, you know, with Greg, and I go like this. I'm sitting there in front of my monitor, and I, I hold up my hand like this. He goes, what are you doing? I go, this is me at home changing the channel. And he goes, all right, make it 10 seconds. And then, you know, so like we cut it, we cut it short because it wasn't like, this is just them walking. It's like, we, I want right. to get back now to the other stuff. Like, right. we get it. They're walking. There's enough of a moment of them. It's not like it was short, but I didn't need 20 seconds of that, you know, right, things right. like that. So they're, you know, this he- This is me changing the channel. <laughs> You're such a jerk. Uh, yeah, but it, I think Greg appreciates it, you know, yeah. because I'm like, I'm honest. Why did people respond? to the Jim Pam story so much? Oh, I mean, 
she's adorable. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's your perspective. That's the, that's my yeah. perspective. He's yeah. a, I mean, he is a super sweet guy and he's sensitive and he's funny and you know, he's good looking, but she's adorable and, right. and she's being treated terribly by Roy. And it's like, you want something better for her. Mm. And that's, it. that's what it all comes down to. I think that's it. You know, that, and here's this guy that would be perfect for her. And they would be happy and you just want to see that. Yeah. I think that it, a lot of it has to do also with the editing work that you guys did and the way the writers wrote the story, right? You couldn't get tired of them because there would be whole episodes where nothing would happen between them. Yeah. So it just naturally happened slow. Um, I felt like that gave it room to breathe and ultimately brought people into that story because not only were they dying for them to get together, they were, they were dying to see more of them yeah. and they were intentionally withheld from that. I, do you think that's true? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely that it's, it was the center of the show, but off center. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it would come in and, and then go, you know, back off a bit. It was, I mean, that's not the, the show has many components. So it was like, like an ensemble, it was like, here's one element of the show. Here's another element. Here's another element. Here's another element. So it wasn't like, hey, here's just a show about, you know, two people. I mean, look, they didn't, we we played it. We timed everything nice too. I think that there was a, a certain pacing to their relationship. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody talked to you about Casino Night. Yes. Uh, there was a huge discussion. They talk about the huge discussion. Yes, that's one of the things that I wanted to get into with you. Because I was in the room. Were the huge discussions. Yes, let's have let's talk about mm-hmm. the huge discussion. Now, which scene in Casino Night? Is this when Jen, Jim professes his love or the kiss? When he professes his love. Okay. Is uh, the, originally, like, the concept was we would just see the aftermath of it. Did yes. They, they, and there was a huge discussion about, no, 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 we should see, you know. And, and it was Greg and Ken the actors were there and stuff and it was like yeah it's it's cool to do something as a documentary to be like oh we're just capturing the moment after but there's something unsatisfying i think for an audience member to not see a, a piece of this and uh i think we made the right choice in in letting them have a conversation and you think it's and you think that's it like you know he says i'm in love with you and she's like i can't and then you think that's you know he's like i just don't want to be friends you know and that's it. And you think, okay. We're done. We're done. And then at the end, what a what an ending. I mean, you talk about a cliffhanger, what a what right. an ending that he comes in and what a great kiss, too. And I mean, kudos to the actors. Because it, was, it you know, even in our small world uh, on the set, it, like there were, just was a sense of pressure of like, oh, yes. they, like here's a big moment that we're dealing with. And they just they're just fucking awesome. You know, and it's such a great kiss and what he does and what she does. And, you know, it's just, and then we stop. And again, it's a timing thing of them. It's after, and they look at each other and then boom, we go to black, you know. Oh, I can see you love it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the timing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's that moment of like where they look at each other after, like what now? And then we go to black. And then the next season, Greg, he had that opening, man. Everything gets slowly revealed. You see right. this aspect, this aspect, and you see Pam doesn't have her ring. Jim is in the now at a different location, and it's like, well, what happened? And then we find out. You right. Know. Um, did you shoot 
two versions of Casino Night? Or what, did the discussion in that scenario happen beforehand? Did you cut that multiple ways? No, we just, we shot it the way that ended up airing okay. and we just did versions. I well, mean, you could have edited it, I guess, a certain way and, and right. seen it like the aftermath, but there At that was that point, never, the decision was done. Yeah, it was, and you saw it and you were like, oh yeah, we want to see this. Well, I and we had other discussions like that on other episodes. The proposal. I don't know if Greg. Well, this this was. Know. I was moving right yeah, into yeah, the sorry, propo- you can, yeah. No, no, yeah. literally right now. I mean, um, so what I was told and reminded about was yes, the proposal, the great uh, sound or no sound Correct. debate. That was it. Yeah. Yes, because it was written in a way. You know, the production aspects of that, where we we built this on a huge parking lot, and we had trucks. 18-wheelers doing figure eights to make it look like they're passing, right. you know, so they'd have enough room, like cars passing, driving by. And uh, Jim and Pam, you know, the original concept was like that we couldn't hear them. We would just see it. And then we had a version where you would hear it. And ultimately, uh, Greg went with the version where you can't hear them. And then he changed his mind that morning <laughs> that we were airing. He's like, no, I, I slept on it, and I want to put the one where they we can hear them. The, mo- the morning that we're airing. Yeah. So then it was like, I think I think it was like that morning. He's like, okay. So we we do the one where they're, you can hear them. And I think, listen, I think both of them were, were great versions, but I think it's probably better to, to hear. I mean, we waited so long for this moment, so it's probably better to better to hear it and not just see it because you didn't want any kind of confusion of like what happened you know i think that ultimately we made the right choice but i'll tell you this is they didn't destroy the one with the no sound and when it was time to make the dvds (laughs) they almost screwed up and had that one and and jake oust was our uh ap at the time and he was like wait a minute you know like that almost hey i'm jay shetty and i'm the host of on purpose on purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier healthier and more healed this week i talked to tiffany haddish in a hilarious deep thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma grief sobriety love and dating You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, 
you can't go around it. So you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got burned on the DVDs. They were doing QC. And uh, he's like... I mean, some some heads rolled because it was like this needs to be labeled and not, you know, either not here anywhere where it would get mixed in, you know. You know, I've had a number of people talk to me about that moment. And I will say to you, yeah, I remember very, very specifically the way that looked. I remember him going down. I remember yeah. the rain. I remember the 18 wheelers going yeah. by. Right. And that such a spy shot. I don't remember what he said. I, yeah. You I know mean, what I mean? Right, right, like, right. Like how it was, but, it's almost <laughs> irrelevant which choice right, because he's the, like, the, I, she's like, what are you doing? He says, I can't wait anymore. And it's not, I mean, it's not about like the dialogue being like that sharp, sure, or, sure, sure, but sure. it is having that help of that audio cue. And, and again, there's plenty of other sound going on. It's not like, hey, this is as clear as day, but it was just at least you could, could but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit while we're on the subject of sound about Company Picnic and yeah. the decision to cut the sound when you find out that Pam is pregnant. Okay, yeah. So that was uh, that was the episode where I made my office yes, acting debut. Your, act, your acting as, debut. Uh, Ray Bans guy. Um, um, I believe it's guy wearing Ray. Guy wearing Ray Bans. Yes. You know. Uh, and it's funny. I have friends, and anytime it shows up, and I have friends now whose kids watch the show, and they're like, "That's Dave." You know, they <laughs> they, they see me on there with my, right. my one line. Was that your acting debut? That was my acting debut on the okay, show. Across any platform, that was your acting debut? Oh, no, uh, no, no. I have acted before. Okay. <laughs> I have shown up. It's funny. I'm, I'm in a Gilmore Girls episode. Okay. And uh, I have one line. I go, sure. But it was such a... <laughs> that sounds like a word. <laughs> that, <laughs> Not a line. That's a line, a word. Okay. As a matter of fact, as it, when I edited that for my own acting reel... It was so short. I had to add like two still frames at the end because I'm on, you know, it's like Gilmore Girls. They cut it so tight. And I'm like, but, uh, but I remember it was such an all-star day for me, like just being on, on the set as an actor. Cause I, I was an assistant editor. I had taken acting classes to become better as a director. Right. So, and then I was going out, I did, I did voice work. I'm on a cartoon. I did like 34 episodes of an animation show called uh, Shinzo, which okay. is a Japanese uh, anime show. 
And, Did you uh, speak Japanese? I didn't speak Japanese. This was like the English. Oh, the English the, version. The American version. You're really yeah. good at yeah. the American versions <laughs> of other shows. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, but the Gil- I would say this. So the Gilmore Girls, like Melissa McCarthy was there. Uh, Lauren Graham uh, is in the scene. Oh. And I think she was dating Matthew Perry at the time. So he was there. It was on the Warner Brothers lot. And he was there like just joking around. He did the slate a couple times. So it was like really a... An, Really a fun day, but I have one one word. I go sure, you know. sure. <laughs> Why did they not hire me? Yeah. All right. So sorry. Co- no back to company picnic. Yeah, company picnic. The the decision to not use sound there when she you find out she's pregnant. Yeah, you have to have sound. I don't think you really know what happens if there's no mention. And Paul, I think, was like, no, I don't think you need it at all. There was one version where it wasn't in, and I was like, if we don't have that, like. No one pays attention to it, but it's in the back of your mind. Like, we need to have some little crumb. Right. But uh, I think their acting just played it. Like, you knew right away from their acting what what had happened, and they never go back. You know, it's such a sweet moment. Pam is, like, nodding, and, yeah, yeah. and Jim is like, you know, oh, my God, and he gives her a big hug. And, uh, and I think it's this joyous surprise for the audience, and they never go back to yeah, the game. Yeah, they yeah. never go back to the volleyball yeah. game or anything. I'm Emmy Olea. On this podcast, I'm taking you on a search. A search for love. Emmy, 24, hardworking Latina, seeks cool, down-to-earth guy. Swipe, swipe, swipe. It's hard out there for a girl. To find Mr. Right, I've had to meet a lot of Mr. Wrongs. He'd invite me over to have dinner with his family. I knew he didn't tell them that I was transgender. Dating as a trans woman can be complicated. But there were other reasons I felt like I couldn't always be myself. He's asking me things about my family. Like, my mom's in prison. My grandmother was arrested for working with the Mexican drug cartel. This is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. Listen to Crumbs as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Glory Adam, host of Well-Read Black Girl. Each week, I sit in close conversation with one of my favorite authors of color and share stories about how they found their voice, honed their craft, and navigated the publishing world and composed some of the most beautiful and meaningful words I've ever read. We journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. And of course, I check in with members of the Well-Read Black Girl Book Club. It's a literary kickback you never knew you needed. And you're all invited to join the club. So tell your friends to tell their friends so we can be friends who love books. Listen to Well-Read Black Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. 
I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. you have a favorite episode? Um, I have a few favorites and there's some that I haven't cut. I love employee transfer because it was my first. Right. I love arm because it was my last and I had so many great things to do in there. I had, yes. I have Daryl dancing with everybody. Jim plays this video for uh, Pam and, uh, you know, it was so sweet. I'm the voice of the documentarian, right, you know, that, was, right. uh, things like that. And, uh, Dwight gets to propose to Angela and he cuts her off and, and, you know, there's all this stuff with the, with the kid. So, I mean, I love, I love that episode, but, uh, I love the finale. The finale is one of my favorites. I love the negotiation. I just think like that, you know, is, is an episode, Mike sure wrote that one. And that to me is like an, ep- like you could show that in a screenwriting class and be like, look at this. Like it starts out here and then there's a twist and it goes here and then there's a twist and it, you know, yeah. and it's just so funny. Like he, and it's just the, the basic premise is Michael wears, he buys a woman's suit and doesn't realize it yeah. and where that ends up going, you know? Um, I love booze cruise and I didn't edit booze cruise. I, I love Michael dancing that he does a motivation dance. Yes. And I love that, as we call it, like the 25 seconds of silence. 27. 27 seconds of silence outside with, with Jim and Pam. Well, even you talking before about the specific moment of the end of casino night, I think my overwhelming memory of you is you're an incredible artist and really know your job, but you are also so excited. I mean, to say that you are a fan, I mean, I call myself a fan of the show, right? Like I was, I thought The Office was an excellent show. I'm a fan of that show, regardless of the fact I worked on it. And I felt like for you, you were the same way. Like you were excited by a great moment that the actors gave. Like you were excited about something the cameras did that looked cool that you oh, were yeah. able to put together. And yeah, that that spirit was pretty awesome. Well, it, it's funny. We had a, we had this environment in post because we would see things. We had a whole different, you know, like people quote the show, right? But we would quote stuff. And you guys, by the time we would get to set like three days later, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so funny. You guys don't even know what we're talking about. Because at that <laughs> point, you've had like seven other pages of dialogue to memorize right. and things like that. Right. You know, so it was like, I'd be like going, oh my God, when Steve says this. Da, da, da. And I find myself like there are mannerisms that I do. Like there are things that people will say to Michael Scott and he'll be like, well, and, and you know, like, as, right. and, and I say that, I do that. Even yesterday I said something to Greg and I'm like, I'm doing Steve Carell. Like there was something where I was like, <laughs> you know, like like doing these things. But uh, I remember I used to call everybody by their character name, or yeah. at least the one, like the writers, like Mindy. I'm, sh- I, you know, people call you Kevin because they they, you know, just out of like Kevin. But yes. I used to like deliberately like I got into this mindset where I, I had nicknames for Paul. Like I would call him Toblerone, like things that Michael Scott didn't even call him. <laughs> I would call make up nicknames for Toby, right. and. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I was just a huge fan of all you guys. I mean, uh, just, a, I, I just, I, yeah, I love the show and I, I was so glad to be working on stuff with, from season one, just these dark endings, like people, some people, you know, they say, oh, they didn't like season one or they, they like it later. Once they see where season two and three are, they can go back and they appreciate it more. I loved it out of the gate. I was like, oh my God, this, like, it's a sitcom that doesn't end on, a, it's not tied up in a bow at the end of the episode. Right. And like, they all hate Michael at the end of the healthcare. I mean, Gr Greg's favorite moment, you know, was, uh, I still have my vagina. <laughs> you remember yes, Flannery? Yes, yes. You know, a vagina is different from a uterus. I still have my vagina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he loved, I remember, I remember for the rap party, the hundredth, the hundredth episode thing. Yeah, we had, but we had the rap party. Yeah, and so you know we would make the gag reel and we'd show you know we would put bloopers and we would show the crew and then I did something different. I said, oh, I'm going to do a highlights of a hundred, and I did and we did a count from yes. like episode one here, just a quick line, just a quick thing to identify. And we got all the cast, like everybody had a had a moment, but it was like finding what is this kind of you know something that just says here's a line from here here's a line from here here's a moment from here here's you know yeah. michael hitting meredith with the car here's uh you know i mean just these little things and it was it's so and it's on the dvd i mean yeah. it's just great to see like just this thing and i remember everybody like just getting excited and lighting up like just at this kind of thing of and what we had done you know yeah so it's crazy so you won two Emmys. I won two Emmys. On The Office. Yeah. For the job and for the finale. Yeah. I co won those with Dean Holland and I for the job and uh, Claire Scanlon for the finale. Yeah. Yeah. And two Ace American Cinema Editor Awards yeah. as well. Um, You were the most honored department on huh. the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right, No right. actors won. Two writers won. You know, the show won once. It's just interesting to me, you know. Well, especially what was really rewarding was the finale to be rewarded, you know, because we had we were not the fresh new show at yes. that point. So it was really rewarding to to win the finale, and, and like I said, we won the Emmy and the American Cinema Editor Award, mm -hmm. Ace Eddie, for that. Um, but but especially you know with the Emmy, I I just think it was our peers, you know you know, you have editors and so it's editors voting on editors. So I think there's they less, recognized what you were doing. Yeah. Was special. I think they recognize it. And I think, listen, there's so much of it is like, Oh, what, it, what is kind of hot and popular. You could be the best editor in the world. If you're not working on, you know, a show that has all these pieces that isn't in the zeitgeist, a show, you know, you're not going to get that recognition. Right. You know? And so with, with the office though, here was something that we were doing that was fresh and, and new and it was such a great script. Right. And look, we lied to everybody too about Steve. And I remember Greg felt really bad about lying to people because he was lying to family and friends. And I was like, I remember writing something. I said, Greg, I said, listen, in today's day and age, everything gets spoiled. It's not like it used to be that you could have this surprise. And I said, so this is what we're doing is we're, we're giving people something because we even had the footage of Steve transferred. We didn't have it done at Universal. We had it done secretly somewhere else. Did you know he was showing up to set that day? I knew that he was showing up, I think, a day or two before. Okay. Somebody spilled the beans to me. But I've talked to a number of people mm. who didn't know until the assistant director said, Steve is in the makeup trailer. There were some people who did not, <laughs> who did know, not until, know until then. I'm so curious as to who from the cast didn't know that day. Because uh, I knew, I mean, because I came to set that day. Because I knew, hey, he's coming at this time. Oh, know? okay. So Claire and I went to set. 
so Steve agrees to come. It's mm-hmm. a big secret. It's kept from the network. And so even after he shot his scenes, you took it somewhere else? So we get the footage transferred. Like we get the video is transferred and, you know, it's it's basically, it's taken digitally and then it's put into the Avids. It's like in files that are put into the Avids. And normally we do all our stuff at Universal on the Universal lot was where we would transfer and that's where we would mix. We did not, we took his scenes and we got them transferred somewhere else. And what, you made them sign, like, non-disclosure? Yeah, or they yeah, were friends was, or something? Or yeah, yeah. It, well, little Timmy's basement? Like, what do you well, mean? No, no, How no. did you? Actually, it, it was uh, Eric Colgin, who was our AP. Okay. His father worked at another pl- level, I think it was level three. I mean, they, they do big shows and right. stuff like that. So we took it there, and we had it transferred there, like, in a room where it was like, okay, this is where it's going to be transferred. Like, we just didn't want... We didn't want NBC execs to have access to the dailies because they can. There's a way I think where they can access, you know, the footage. They can look at dailies and things like that. We didn't want that because we didn't want them ultimately to promo Steve Carell returns because Steve right. didn't want that. And there was also, as a surprise, it's like there's just enough footage of him as a surprise that you're like blown away. My mom cringes at at Michael Scott. Like she, you know, so much of the time, like she would cringe. But man, she watched that finale moment where she would rewind and watch him showing up, you know, that reveal 50 times. She's like, David, I can't stop watching it. You know, I mean, it's just such a great moment with the reveal. It's like, I can't be your best man, but you know, and, and so we were secretive about it. And and Greg, I remember Greg felt bad about lying, and I was explaining to him about spoilers. I'm like, this is not harming anyone. And it's like a surprise party. If someone asks, like, are, are you throwing me a surprise party? And you say, <laughs> no. And then two hours later, surprise. Like, that's what this is. And Greg, I remember he said, yeah, he felt better. He felt better about that, you know, about it. I was like, I know it's hard, but that's what it is. Like, we're, we're you know, we have to keep it a secret. And if everybody keeps it a secret, it's a secret. Like, that's, we're all in it together. Because right. even, you know, I remember, you know, Ken Quapis, like the day before was like, no, Steve's not in it. He, you know, he decided that he ended, he had his exit and all this. And it's like, yeah, we're just lying. It's a white, little white lie. Like, that's it. And it, and it all comes out. Right. Um, how, how did working on The Office change your life? God. Uh, well, it just was like being, you know, like I said, I, I had worked on Seinfeld, but I was a small part of that show and it right. was it was very late. I joined late. I was not instrumental in making that show anything. I just, I was lucky to be a part of it. But being part of the office was like, you know, coming in right after the pilot and getting to, you know, tweak the pilot a little bit. But, I, you know, just just coming in though from Diversity Day and, and being instrumental in like helping shape the show, really being part of the, the creative process. I didn't write, you know, scripts or anything like that, but Greg would always listen. Like if you have pitches, if you have any ideas and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, hey, this would get in, that would, that would get in, you know, and sometimes, like I said, we, I'd rewrite a joke in the edit bay right. and we would, okay, we'll go shoot. Or I would write even the bones. And then I said, like, have the writers, you know, have them just make it better. Like write, write a sharper joke and stuff like that. Um, and it, yeah. So, I mean, it changed my life, like just being a part of that show. And and obviously, I mean, it's nice like to be on something that's popular and people are like, Oh, you work on the office. Like, you know, like it's still to this day, people are always 
you know, sur- surprised right. and and thrilled. I mean, I, I went, I was wearing a jacket, Dunder Mifflin Saber, one of the season, you know, jackets, wrap jackets, and I was getting coffee. And uh, the Brits was like, I love your jacket. What are you going to say? I worked on the show. Oh my God. I love the show. Please tell every, you know, I mean, like right. still to this day, people, uh, people are, you know, more and more actually, I should say, you know, yeah. as, as, because do you of, feel that? Do you feel? I do. Because like I said, there's another, gen- there's a whole generation of, of people with their kids. I get Facebook messages all the times where they're like, just when you know, my kids are watching the show, they love it. They binged it three times. You know, right. this one, even my godson, I got him. He wanted for Christmas a Dunder Mifflin hoodie. I had to buy one from NBC.com. <laughs> I don't have anything anymore. I'm like, I right. you know, all my swag and autograph stuff. You know, he's watched the episodes. He sees me. He hears my voice uh, as the documentarian. He sees my name in the credits. Uh, That's cool. And we talk stuff. And people are always asking me about trivia. And I'm pretty good. My memory's def- like I said, I, I'm. I slip a little bit with with people's names, and I don't know if that's just age or if like the hard drive is full and and overloaded. I've got one. I've got I've got one yeah. for you. This is fun. Okay. So people they'll come up. You are pretty good with trivia. In yeah. fact, we all call you the encyclopedia. Yeah. I have one question. Go this ahead. is my one. All right. All right. I was told a while ago. It is a named one though, so uh, you got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, this was like the finals of some trivia thing. Someone won. They told me the question. I've just decided I'm adopting this question when someone says they know trivia, and I asked them this question. Okay, you ready? Yeah. This is for one billion dollars. What is Gabe Lewis's middle name? Beverly. <laughs> that was like this—the right spirit, the Leslie? wrong name. Is it Le- you? No. Ro- no, I think the Leslie David Baker. I've had a lot yeah. of people say Leslie. Yes. I'm trying to think what it is Susan. Susan. <laughs> Susan. Gabe's Gabriel Susan, Susan Lewis. Lewis. All right. Yes. That's good to know. Yeah, there you go. I, I will, you yeah, lost, I lost the game. I lost but the game. Thank you for playing. It was really, really entertaining. Um, dude, thank you so much yeah. for coming in. Yeah, no. You're uh... you're the encyclopedia and your knowledge and your passion for the show. You know, I think the show in a lot of ways, what made it special was how much people cared. It wasn't about ego. It was truly about making the best show that we could. Yeah. What can you say? I mean, yeah, the show has changed my life in so many ways. And it's just, you know, I love being a part of it. I still love being a part of it. And uh, I just love that we we have this this bond because of it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Dave, what can I say? I could just stand here and listen to you on a podcast all day. Thank you so much for coming by. It was so great to see you and to, well, to hear from you. And to all of you out there, thank you for listening to another episode of The Office Deep Dive. I hope you have the best week possible. And to cap off that amazing week, you can come back next Tuesday to hear part two of my conversation with our wonderful writer, Jen Salata. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. 
Our producers are Diego Tapia and Liz Hayes. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Hey, Dana Goodyear here. Have you ever wondered how a true crime podcast like Lost Hills gets made? How we unearth secrets and tease out the truth? And deal with complicated characters while tackling sensitive subjects like violence, trauma, and deception? Now's your chance to find out. Join me and Jake Halpern, host of Pushkin's Deep Cover podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com slash DCLH. That's M-O-M-E-N-T house.com slash D-C-L-H. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, hey, this is John O'Brien, entrepreneur and a fellow builder just like you. Thanks to the help of iHeartRadio and Prudential Financial, I'd like to present to you my brand new podcast. It's called Building the Good Life, where each week a special friend and I will unpack and talk in detail about financial literacy, building generational wealth, building back community, building the best version of you. Make sure to listen to Building the Good Life on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. 
Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.